Hello and welcome back to session four of the, of the new creation teaching series in which we are right now. And I entitled this session Righteous by Nature. And I, I really hope that the, the, all the sessions that we've done so far have been a blessing to you. And today, if you are ready to jump in, we will continue where we left off in session three with the verse from 2 Corinthians 5.21. We discussed in session three about how, in what way Jesus was made sin on our behalf. And we discussed and we studied that he was made only legally. Uh, uh, from the legal point of view, he was made sin on our behalf. And today we will continue to discuss the second part of that verse where, uh, uh, where we talk about, um, we bring biblical arguments why we as Christians, when we are born again, we become righteous both in our legal status and in our vital state, meaning that the, the nature of our spirit changes too. So if you're ready, let's uh, begin by reading the verse again from 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, if we look, if we go back to Adam when he first fell and sinned, we know that both his legal status and his vital state changed and he entered death and he gave that death, that death spread out to all humanity, to the whole human race. And now if we think about Christ, when Christ came, shouldn't he do undo at least what Adam did? Like when Christ came to save us, he should at least undo what the first Adam did. Isn't that right? But the Bible says that in Romans 5, 15 to 19 that Christ not only has undone what the first Adam did, but he did much more. But let's put aside for a moment the much more and discuss just about the even, the evenness of what Christ has undone, uh, the fact that Christ has undone what the first Adam did, the last Adam and has undone what the first Adam did. So let's read this passage from Romans 5, 15 to 19 together. If you are ready, let's read it. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation, but on the, under, on, the, on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So then, as uh, in the same way, through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through, for as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. Amen. So I, I was saying earlier, that it's Christ has done at least what the first Adam has undone at least what the first Adam did. Uh, Christ should should have brought us back to the initial position where Adam was, both legally and vitally, before he fell into sin. Isn't that right? 
So if Adam, the first Adam, changed our legal status and our vital state, if Christ did something less than the first Adam, then he would become much weaker than the first Adam. Isn't that right? So Christ must and should have done at, uh, at least the measure that the first Adam did. So that means that Christ, at least, he paid for our sins and he brought us back to that position of the first Adam where we had to earn our righteousness. But we see from Romans, and we talked in detail in the previous session, that Christ did not leave us there, did not leave us there in the position of the first Adam before the fell, but he gave us much more. He has given us also his righteousness that he won, he gained while he lived on this earth. His righteousness, God gave it to us, both legally and vitally in the nature of our spirit. And in the same way that death was not just imputed to the first Adam, the same way righteousness is not just imputed to Christians. We have become righteousness. Our vital state has changed. The nature of our spirit uh, changed when we were born again. Now, you may think about Abraham. The, the Bible says that God considered uh, Abraham's faith a righteousness. And the Bible says that righteousness was imputed to Abraham. And that is correct. Because Abraham lived before Christ, Christ has not come yet, so his righteousness, his faith before God was imputed, his righteousness was imputed to him, he was considered righteousness, he wasn't made righteous in the nature of his spirit. But that has changed after the cross, after Christ came, every person that receives Christ in their hearts and they are born again, the nature of their spirit is also changed into righteousness. After the cross, the situation has changed and we have become, we become righteousness in the nature of our spirits. The first biblical support for us becoming righteousness, both legally and vitally in the nature of our spirit, is that if Christ didn't do at least that, he would become much weaker than the first Adam. And that it contradicts the Bible and specifically this chapter 5 where overall the, in the whole chapter the Bible says much more. If the first man did this, Christ much more did than the first. So not just even but much more. Praise the Lord. The second biblical uh, passage that shows us that we have become righteousness in the nature of our spirit comes from John chapter 3 verses 1 to 8. Here Jesus discusses with Nicodemus, one of the Pharisees, uh, a man of the Pharisees, and the passage uh, says this. Let's read it together. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, 
but do not know where it comes from and where it is where it is going so is everyone who is born of the spirit so jesus is talking here with nicodemus and he explains to him how a person can enter in the in the kingdom of god and if we look at verse 3 jesus says that unless one is born again he cannot see the kingdom of god and the greek word for born here is the greek genao yeah, and for again is the Greek anothen. And anothen means from above, from a higher place of things which come from heaven. So in other words, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born from heaven or from above, from a higher place, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Jesus says a person has to be born from above, from the spirit, right? But then Nicodemus' questions, question from verse 4 shows to us that uh, the word that Jesus used for born was the same word, the same Hebrew word that uh, the, the Jews understood uh, the physical birth. Because Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he's born again, when he's old? Nicodemus, how can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? That question shows us that the word that Jesus used was the same word that Jews were, were using for physical birth. That shows us that the birth that Jesus was talking about was a real one. As our physical birth is a real one, the spiritual birth is a real rebirth, is a real recreation. Although it's from the Spirit, although it's from heaven, it is a real birth, it's a real change. Not change, but a, a complete recreation. The spiritual birth that Jesus was talking about was a vital one and not just a symbolic one or a metaphorical one as a lot of Christians think today. So that's the second strong biblical passage that supports and shows us that our righteousness is not just legal, but in Christ, the righteousness that we received in Christ is also vital in, our, in, the, in the nature of our spirits. Uh, thirdly, we move to a, another passage, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, a very well-known passage where, where the Bible says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, behold, new things have come. So if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Let's take a look at the tenses in this verse. First of all, we see that anyone who is in Christ is a new creature in the present time, not in the future time, not in the future life. It's, it is a fact. It is a reality. It's not a promise. Anyone who is in Christ is right now has become the moment a person comes into Christ has become a new creature, a new creation in this life while you are on earth. Secondly, look at the things. It says that uh, the verse says, the all things passed away at past tense. They passed away. It doesn't say they will pass away in the future or might pass away if we struggle enough or pray enough or fast enough. They are passed away. The, the old way of thinking, the old way of acting, of speaking, of talking, of behaving has passed away. Uh, the new creature has new things. Behold, perceive. The new has come. New things have come. The, the new things that accompany the rebirth, that accompany the recreation, says a new creature. In another translation, says a new creation. The first creation was the first Adam and the whole humanity that comes from first Adam. The second creation and the last creation is the new man, the new creation that is reborn 
in from the spirit in Jesus Christ. We know we also know that God is a pragmatic God. Like we are we as people love to be pragmatic in business, in school, in education, in our jobs. We love to have results and we when we talk about something, we love pragmatism. Uh, all the more I think God is pragmatic and when he says you are a new creation, you are. The, the new creation is completely recreated, a new species that never existed before. Although it has the same soul and lives in the same body for a while. It is, the Bible says that the new creature, the new creation, it is created in righteousness and truth. We see that in Ephesians 4, 20 to 24. Let's read it together. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. The new self has been created in the likeness and righteousness and holiness of the truth. The new creation is not a, just a changed man. Like we see an alcoholic or a, a, a person who used to smoke. They come to those groups and they confess and they talk about their problems. And they, you hear a lot this saying, I am a changed man because I gave up smoking. I gave up alcohol. I am a changed man. The new creation is not a changed man in that way, in that like you remain the same, but you are changed in some behavior. Uh, also, the new creation is not like an improved creation, an improved person uh, which, uh, by attaching supernatural abilities like Samson was. Like Samson was a sinner, was a human being like us, but God gave him supernatural abilities and he did God's will for a while by those supernatural abilities. The new creation is not even that, it's not an improved supernatural being. It's not improved, it's a completely recreated person that never existed before, as I said, uh, as I said earlier. And one more thing here, uh, when we look at the first Adam, when he fell into sin and he entered spiritual death, we see that we talked in the previous session that also his, from that moment on, his soul, his mind, his body became being affected by death. And in the same way, now if we reverse, when we come in Christ, that, that is supposed to happen also, right? Our soul, our mind, our bodies, even mortal bodies, the Bible says that they are affected until we get the glorified bodies. They are affected in a positive way by the rebirth in, that took place in our spirits, by the change, the vital change in the state of our spirit. And we see that in Romans 8:11, Paul says, But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life. To your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you and another translation says who uh, will also not give life but quicken activate your mortal bodies give life to your mortal body if you have eternal life in the spirit in, in your spirit that eternal life comes out comes in your body and permeates your body and that's why that's why the health that jesus paid for on the cross we have a right to it and it happens comes from that life 
that our spirit has become one spirit with the Holy Spirit, with the Lord, and the life of God comes from Him into us, into our bodies, into our souls. And that is awesome news because we have become supernatural beings, godly beings. We have the nature of our Father in us. Our Father God, the Bible says in 2 Peter 1.4, that we are partakers of the divine nature. What does that mean? We share into the divine nature. We don't just share into moral behavior, but the divine nature is in us. And uh, one more uh, passage that talks about the, the vital change that takes place in the, spirit, in the nature of our spirits, it comes from John, uh, the, the Gospel of John chapter 1, verses 12 to 13. Let's read it together. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of men, but of God. We are not born of flesh. We are not born of, uh, of blood, but we are born of God. And in another passage in 1 John 5, 4 says, We are born of God and we overcome the world. What does that mean that you are born of God? We can understand that if we think about the, the passage from John 1, 12, 13 says, uh, make kind of a comparison with the birth from blood and flesh. Usually all the people come into this world and they are born into this world from blood and flesh, right? So God here makes a comparison that with the birth from God, it's in, in some ways is similar to the birth from physical physical flesh and blood, meaning that it's a real birth, but it's a different birth. It's a birth from the Spirit, but that doesn't make it symbolic or metaphorical. And you heard me saying that a lot during these sessions, but this is critical and this is the important thing that I want to bring home through this whole series because after I bring this point and I establish this concept, you will see You'll, we will be able to understand much better and enjoy the benefits of the gospel once we understand that we were vitally changed. And when we were born of God, we received the same nature that our Father has. Amen. So the first, the first thing that we uh, discussed in this session is that uh, why and how the Christians and the born-again people become righteous both legally and uh, vital in the in the nature of their spirits. Secondly, we're moving on to a second uh, the second section of this session, where we will discuss about uh, the so-called positional righteousness uh, versus practical or behavioral righteousness, and uh, the fact that we are born again and we still do sinful actions kind of bewilders people and people are trying to reconcile the Christians all over the world and all Christianity tries to reconcile this apparent conflict. On one hand, uh, we, the Bible says that we are already righteous as we discussed, discussed until now, but on the other hand, in reality, we don't see it happening. That righteousness, we don't see, see it happening yet completely, in a complete way. The, it's, we are already righteous and still not yet righteous. And I want to explain a little bit how, can, how we reconcile this conflict, this uh, con apparent contradiction. And the Christians came up with this term, with this, uh, these two terms, positional righteousness and practical righteousness, behavioral righteousness. And the way that most Christians understand these two types of righteousness is that we are legally, we remain uh, sinners, uh, we remain the same way we are in the substance, in the nature of our being, 
but we were we are considered we are positioned we are considered legally righteous we our legal standing our position legal position is righteousness but our behavior practically we are applying righteousness to ourselves we try to become and to attain to that legal standing that we received in christ we try to bring our nature and our behaviors and our whole being to that to match that legal state and i think that these especially the positional rights this term doesn't make justice as not accurate doesn't describe accurately what happens to us when we are born again I think a better term in the light of what we discussed so far would be innate righteousness or inherent righteousness versus applied or activated righteousness. And I will explain why. Because in the first Adam, we not only inherit a position, a legal position of guilt, we inherit also the corruption, we inherit the death from the Spirit. So now when we become Christ, we do not become righteous just positionally. Uh, the position, the so-called position, positional righteousness covers both the legal standing uh, into righteousness and the vital state, the change in the vital state, uh, uh, meaning righteousness in the nature of our spirit. So the positional righteousness, which I, I called it better innate righteousness or natural righteousness or inherent righteousness from Christ, this type of righteousness covers or describes the change in our legal uh, status from guilt, guilty to righteous and the change in the vital state of our spirit from uh, corrupted, from dead in our trespasses, from spiritual death into spiritual life, into righteousness. And then the behavioral righteousness, which I called applied or activated, covers the renewal of the soul of the of the mind and the discipline of the body in other words the righteousness that god has already put in us in a raw format in into our spirits comes out into our soul through our emotions through our thinking through our speech through our behavior through our uh, uh, actions through our body we discipline our body and uh, uh, that that is the so-called applied or activated righteousness many christians understand this behavior practical righteousness the the one that we apply mostly as a, a moral righteousness meaning the way that i understand it is that we read the bible to see what god wants to see uh, how what he expects from us and especially in the area of morality to be holy to uh, think right to have integrity and they see it more from a, a, a moral point of view but righteousness applied righteousness is not just morality it's way more than that it's the righteousness of God himself, it's the ability of God that he has put in us, the wisdom of God, the prosperity of God, the strength, the power, the faith, the love, the fruits of the Holy Spirit, everything that God is and has, the, the aspects of eternal life that he has put in us, in our spirits, uh, as innate righteousness, they come out through applied righteousness. And I'll give you two examples so that we can understand this even better. The first examples comes from our mobile phones, the smartphones. Uh, I don't know how many of you, uh, do you remember the first mobile phone that you had? It was like a way bigger than this, or maybe similar, but much thicker. And the display was a very small one uh, and monochrome with not so many colors, just two colors usually. And the, the main thing that you could do with that uh, phone, it was just a phone. You could just talk, call, receive calls. 
But now, later on, we come, we come forward some years uh, and we come straight to the iPhone 6 or 5 or Galaxy 5, 6 that you have. And it's a completely different uh, device, uh, which can, can continue to be used just as a phone, right? You can continue to call and receive calls just as, as a phone and nobody will tell you anything. Well, nobody will bother. But this phone, this device, now it's way more improved than the first mobile phone that we had. What would we do with our, our smartphones? Why is that? Because when I received the smartphone, it was brand new, it looked very nice. Uh, I didn't have a clue what I can do with it. And maybe many of you were in the same position. But then we hear the words apps and we find out about apps. We identify all kinds of needs that we have and we find an app for everything. We go to the Play Store on the Android platform and then uh, on the um, Apple Store and we look for apps. And now with the smartphone, it has apps all, almost for anything. You can, you can make your phone as a flashlight, you can check your bank statements, you can make, uh, use the calculator, you have a calendar, you can call, you can check your Facebook, you can read your Bible, you can take notes, you can use a GPS, uh, you can take photos, um, what else? You can watch movies, uh, you can go on Skype, Skype, see video and talk to a distance, a lot of things. And the, every need that you have, you find an app almost in, in our days, even for pregnant women. If you want an app, you have an app. And not only the fitness, if you want to watch your fitness and your calories. The, the first mobile phone, if you want, it has extended exponentially. And now the smartphones that we have, almost, we almost cannot live without it. <laughs> because we do everything, every, everywhere you see people with smartphones, you see them checking and looking on, online. What has happened? When we receive a smartphone, we receive a lot of potential capacity that can improve our lives, a lot of uh, extended capacity. But what do we do with that? We learn about apps, we find out about apps, we search and we, we, we learn about it, and then we start practicing. We start using those apps in our daily lives. And the more we use them, the more it becomes a second nature. And we reach the point where we almost we cannot live without those apps because they help us so much. Now, if we translate that to Christianity and to the two types of righteousness that I was talking about, the, the innate inherent righteousness or the positional righteousness is the new smartphone. Before being born again, we were like those old mobiles, phone mobiles. We were just humans. But after being born again, we are, we are not only humans, as Paul said, we are not mere humans. We also have the nature of God in us. Our capacity, our ability is the ability of God Himself. Our righteousness is the righteousness of God Himself. But now that is in a raw format. Now we have to learn. Looking at the Bible, the Bible is the mirror of the new creation, is the manual of the new creation. James says when we look in the Bible, we see how we look, what we have become. And we learn about our new abilities. We learn and then we apply, we apply them and practice them in the real life, in our souls and for our bodies. And that is applied or activated righteousness. And I'll give you a few examples. For instance, in your choir, in your uh, devotional time, when you have your fellowship with God, you worship, you read the Bible. For instance, you go to a verse like this, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, where it says, No temptation has overtaken you that, is, uh, that can be stronger or over your power, but with every temptation, God has prepared a way for you to escape it so that you can endure it. So when you read the, a verse like that, 
and, and, and then you think about your life. I'm sure many of you have different, different kinds of temptation. Every human being faces different temptations. So you think about your temptations. And even though sometimes they might, they might feel or seem overwhelming, when you read this verse, you are so encouraged because anything that you feel overwhelming is actually a lie. The, the Bible cannot lie. God cannot lie. So when God says that there is no temptation that can overtake you, there is no temptation that can overpower you, that is the truth. So then you take that verse and you start declaring that verse and you start applying that verse. And every time you are tempted, you declare the word of God the same way Jesus declared it with Satan when he was tempted in the wilderness. And you say to yourself, this temptation will not overtake me anymore because the Bible says that the new creation that I have become is immune. You are still tempted, but it, it, it's not more powerful than you. Amen? Uh, and that is actually the process of meditation and the renewal of the mind. The renewal of the mind is not just improvement in morality. Reading the Bible and trying to memorize and remember what God expects from us. It's not just morality. Renewal of the mind is re renewal of also the unconscious mind, of the habits, the addiction, all the uh, behaviors that we build in time, all the strongholds of the mind, not just the conscious mind. So when we meditate, meditation, renewal of the mind means taking the Bible, the verses, and applying them to our daily lives. Let me give you another example. You read, for, for instance, 1 Peter 2.24, it says, By His stripes we have been healed. And it refers to physical healing. Now, if in that moment you have a sickness in your body, or somebody dear, for, uh, dear to you, a relative, a friend, has a sickness in their body, when you find out that verse that Christ has paid for your healing, then you no longer can tolerate your, the sickness in your body. You refuse to be sick. You don't deny that you have sickness or you feel the symptoms, but you deny the right of sickness to stay in your body. And you start commanding to your sickness, in the name of Jesus, be gone out of my body. I live in health. I have received health and I walk in divine health. By Jesus' stripes I've been healed. You declare what you not see. You do not see. That, that is faith, the Bible says. You call what you do not see into being. You don't call what you see. That is not faith saying that I'm not sick, I'm not sick. That is not faith because you are sick, you feel the symptoms. But faith is calling what you cannot see, what is not there as if it exists. What do we call? What do we have in Christ? We have health. The Bible says that we are supposed to be healthy and to live in continuous health. Amen. So then you take, you declare, you pray, and you command in the name of Jesus, and you thank God. And even though you don't see anything immediately, you continue in that faith. And that releases the power of God for your body. From, the, from your spirit, which is one with the Holy Spirit, releases the power in your body, and you become healthy. You recover. The Bible sent the, also the disciples, go and heal the sick. He gave them authority to heal the sick, raise the dead, and cleanse the lepers. And the power flows through your hands. You can also pray for somebody. If somebody is sick, when you read that verse, if you have the chance to put your to lay your hands over them and pray for them, if it's even better. But if you don't, you can declare and speak the words. In the name of Jesus, I declare my friend healthy and strong, and I speak life over my friend. In the name of Jesus, I have a right to, to health. I have a right, a legal right to health. Uh, and also, you read Psalm 1. I'll give you two more examples. Psalm 1. 
the first verses. The Bible says that the righteous man is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season and its leaves never wither. And on whatever he puts his hands to, he prospers. That's what the Bible says. So when I read that, and maybe I have a difficult task uh, at my job, at my, at my work, and I, I'm overwhelmed by it, and I don't know how I, am I going to make it. When I read this verse, that on whatever I put my hands to, I prosper, then I start declaring and believing this word, that the Bible says the righteous man, which you have become now in your very nature, the righteous man, and I declare it for myself as I, 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 we did in previous session, you personalize it. I am right to the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in, its, in his season, and its leaves never wither. My leaves never wither. I only bear fruit. And what, on whatever I put my hands to, I prosper. And you go with that faith and with that confidence that you will prosper. And you will prosper because that releases the power of God, the anointing of God for you to prosper. And one more verse, 2 Corinthians 8, 9 and 9, 8 talks about uh, the fact that Jesus, who was rich, he was made poor for us so that we might become rich. And the context there, it's about uh, wealth, not about rich in the spirit. If you read 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and, all, and also 9, 2 Corinthians 9, 8, it says that God is able to bless you and give you to, uh, and make you have all sufficiency in all things at all times. So when you read that, and maybe in your life you have debts, you have loans, education loans, you have debts in your car, in your house, and you are burdened, you have a mortgage. Then you start declaring, I live a debt-free life, a loan-free life. Every credit that I have, every loan that I have, every debt that I have will be swallowed in abundance. I live in abundance. I live in prosperity. I was made rich in Christ Jesus, and I am blessed. I am favored. And even though temporarily I have some debts in my life, they are, they are gone. They are swallowed up by life. They are swallowed up by prosperity. And you start declaring, and soon enough, they will go away. But also, with, the, with that, the Holy Spirit will also change your mentality. So when you pray like that, and you start praying in tongues, uh, when you, and you start taking the Word of God in you, declaring it, the Holy Spirit will also change your mentality, your mind, the way you spend your money, what decision you take. So not only He releases you from death, but He teaches you how not to make any more death. Amen? So that's kind of the way... Uh, if we make the uh, comparison with the smartphone, that's, um, that's the kind of the way how we apply or activate the innate righteousness into our uh, practical life, into our behavior, into our way of uh, life. And uh, one more example here. Think about when we are born as humans uh, from blood and flesh, as we mentioned before. That infant baby is, is not more or less human than any other human being. It has all the potentiality, all the abilities of a human being. It has the potential to drive a car. It has the, he, he or she has the potential to, to play music, to learn music, to paint, to do art, to, to do software programming, to swim, all kinds of things, to repair machine, to repair cars, uh, to be an electrical engineer, to help the world, a lot of things, to be a teacher, a professor. It has all the potentialities in that human nature. But what happens? That baby has to grow and has to learn about these different things, about those innate 
talents, of those innate uh, things that he had. Maybe he, has, he received from his parents the talent, if, if uh, his or she, uh, her parents, depending what the baby is, her parents were, uh, his parents were musician. The baby might take a little bit more uh, from that talent in his gene, in his DNA, might take that talent of playing music or being a doctor or a, a surgeon. But if that baby, if that uh, human being doesn't learn uh, about those things and do doesn't practice, doesn't activate that talent that, that is in it, that is in a raw format in his nature, in his human nature, it will never come to fruition. Isn't that right? Even though you have a talent to play a musical instrument, we all know if you don't go to school and learn all the notes and, may, uh, and do a lot of practice, uh, piano or, or guitar or sax or whatever, if you don't do a lot of practice, you will never uh, become or reach a point of uh, professionalism, of, of fruition where people can listen to you or can enjoy to you. And kind of the same way in the beginning, let's take for instance, when you, when you try to drive a car. In the beginning, because you are not accustomed with that, it, it's very hard. It, if some people say in, at first, it felt like it's impossible for them to ever learn to drive a car. But then the more you do it, the more you practice, it becomes a second nature. Now you drive a car and you can also look at your phone. Don't do that. Or think about other things or talk with your friend or your wife on the right. And in the same time, uh, drive because it has become part of you. And that in the same way we do with, with righteousness. We have become righteous but we activate righteousness. Let's read a few verses, a few passages here. 1 John 5, 4 that I mentioned before, it says this, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. If we are born of God, we overcome the world. We have the same nature of God. Ephesians 2, 10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works. The Spirit has been created in, in Christ so that we would do good works. Those good works are already in us. We just need to, to bring them out. We just need to work our salvation out. Uh, 2 Peter 1.4 for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. So you become partaker of the divine nature when you activate that divine nature in you by reading the word, uh, declaring the word, believing the word, and acting on the word. And um, the Bible says that we are recreated perfect and complete in our spirits in a raw format i was saying that i will give you here two free passages that we are the bible where the bible says that we are created perfect complete and then we will see that in the same time we need to be perfected but in what way we are perfect and in what way we need to be perfected let's see in what way we are recreated perfect and complete and we see that in hebrews 10 14 it says this for by the one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. So we have been perfected by one offering. We have been made perfect for all times those who are sanctified. We were perfected but we are also sanctified. Uh, Hebrews 12, 23. 
to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. See, the spirits of the righteous made perfect. We were made perfect. And also Colossians 2.10. And in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. You and I have been made complete in him. In what way we have been made perfect and complete? You, you, might, you should know by now. We were made perfect and complete in the nature of our spirits. And then the way we are perfected and activated is in our soul and our bodies, in our, in our outside world, in our minds. And it starts with our minds. We are perfected in faith, in love, in holiness, in our minds, in our reason, in our thinking, in our will, emotions, speech, and in our bodies, in our actions. And we see that in James 2, uh, chapter 2, verse 22. You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. So by works, faith is perfected. By actions, faith is perfected. You receive the measure of faith when you are born again, but then faith increases and is perfected by listening to the words. Romans 10, 15, 17 says, faith comes by hearing, hearing comes by the word of Christ. So you listen and listen and listen and you grow in faith and then you act your faith and by acting, by doing the word of God, your faith is perfected. 1 Peter 5.10 After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So here it says, 1 Peter 5.10 says that He Himself, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Although you are perfect, you need to be established. And Paul talks a lot about, about establishing in Christ. I groan in my spirit until Christ is formed in you. Christ is in you, but He has to be formed in you, in your behavior, in your actions, in your life. Uh, 1 John 4.12 No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. So we have the measure of love, but love has to be even more perfected when we love others and when we love God. And one more verse here, 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and of spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Here we see perfecting holiness. So we are holy in our spirits. God sees us and made us holy. And not only sees us legally, He sees us holy because we are holy in the nature of our spirits. But we have to perfect that holiness in our, through our minds, into our bodies and to, into our lives. Uh, so that people can see. We, we bring to fruition that holiness. And now in this particular verse you see something interesting. Let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and of spirit. What is that defilement of the spirit? Before I explain the defilement of the spirit, let's think about what defilement of the body means when your body is defiled or made dirty. The nature of your body doesn't change. You are defiled, but you can clean yourself up. You can wash yourself up with water or whatever. Uh, so defilement doesn't change the nature of your spirit. In the same way, Defilement on the spirit doesn't change the nature of your spirit. Moreover, uh, more than this, um, 
usually in the scripture, defilement of the body is connected uh, with sexual immorality and defilement of the spirit with idolatry and wrong worship. And that kind of makes sense because in John 4.23 we see that God is looking for worshipers that worship Him in spirit and truth. In spirit and truth. If you worship something else, that's defilement of the spirit. But the context of 2 Corinthians 7.1 and especially chapter 6 before 7 is about being yoked with unbelievers and about worship of idols in Corinth, in the church of Corinth. People were still, even though they became Christians, they were still uh, yoked with the unbelievers. They were still worshiping idols or other, uh, other things. So Paul comes and tells them that that can defile the spirit, but nevertheless it doesn't change the righteousness of the, na of the spirit's nature or, or make us lose salvation. So defilement doesn't change our nature. Amen? I wanted to take time to explain this because uh, some of you may, might be conflicted uh, and might uh, feel that uh, this verse contradicts what we have discussed so far. We discussed in the session why and how we have become uh, legally and vitally righteous. Secondly, we discussed about positional and behavioral righteousness or better, innate inherent righteousness versus applied or activated righteousness. And now lastly, I will do kind of a summary how we look, how the, does the human person look after salvation? What is the legal status and vital state? And with this, we'll kind of finalize this issue of legal status and vital state, uh, change in vital state. And we'll read four passages here. Uh, and we'll start and we'll, then we'll analyze these four passage, passages and we'll see the legal status and the vital state. So if you're ready, let's go together at Romans 8 uh, verse, uh, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Galatians 2.16. Already from Romans 8.1, what does this verse say? That there is no condemnation. There's no guilt for those who are in Christ Jesus. That talks about our legal status. We are no more guilty, no more condemned by God when we become in Christ, when we receive Christ in our hearts. Galatians 2.16 Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through, the, through faith in Christ, in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. So what does this verse say? That we are justified through faith in Jesus Christ. Justification means the legal status has changed to righteousness. Justified before God. Uh, in accordance with God's law. We are justified before Him uh, as children of God. Uh, the first passage, Romans 5.19. And we read it in the beginning of the session. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners... Even so, through obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. And here it talks about also the change in vital state. And lastly, the verse that we started with, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 
So from all these four passages, and there are way uh, others, even Romans 6, 14, where it says, Sin does not have dominion over you because you are under, under grace and not under law. And we'll read many other verses in the sessions that are to come where we will explain other things. But from these four passages, we can see clearly in Romans 8, 1 and Galatians 2, 16, we can see clearly that legally, our legal status, legal standing is justified, not condemned, not guilty anymore. Amen? And vital state, our vital state uh, is that we are born again righteous because of Christ's life and resurrection and not because of our actions. We are reborn, recreated in righteousness and we are righteous because of Christ's life, Christ's death and resurrection and Christ's life of obedience and righteousness. That has been given, on that basis we are righteousness. We, you can do thousands and thousands of good works while you are on this earth. But if you don't have Christ, if, you, if your righteousness is not based on Christ's righteousness, everything that you do is zero. It's a, a dirty, a filthy rag. All our good deeds are dirty, filthy rags. Our righteousness is Christ's righteousness. It's the, uh, God's righteousness Himself. God. The righteousness of God Himself. Anything less than that is, is not good enough. Our actions, everything that we do, our acts of righteousness, our good works, uh, they have a value if they come from the righteousness of Christ. And we don't do them to gain God's favor or to become righteous. We do them because we are righteous. We do them and we will be rewarded for them. But we do them for the pleasure of God. We do them because we want to and because our nature has changed not to gain something, not to maintain something, to maintain salvation or to maintain righteousness. Praise God! Any sinful action that you do will not change the nature of your spirit ever. Because your righteousness is Christ's righteousness, not yours. Not your, your sinful actions don't make you unrighteous or, or your good works. They are not the ones that are making you righteous. You have already been made righteousness. And you are, we are not righteous because we do righteous actions. So not the righteous actions, uh, they don't make us righteous. But we do righteous actions because we have been made righteous. Amen? And we are not just considered righteous, but we have become righteousness in the nature of our spirits. And now in contrast, if in the past the spirit of the prince of the air, of the prince of darkness, was working in us, the sounds of disobedience, now the Holy Spirit works in us. He has come to abide in us as a seal forever. He will be in us and with us forever. Amen. And we are by nature, John uh, chapter 1, 12, 13, where it says we were born by God. We are by nature children of God. We are no longer children of wrath. We are children of God. We are born of Him. We have the same nature of Him. That's awesome. And one more thing, we are no longer powerless in regards to sinful actions. Now we are no longer powerless towards sinful actions. There's nothing outside of us that can overpower us to do sinful actions. We have the ability now to say no. We have the inherent ability now to overcome sin, to overcome all our sinful actions, all our um, habits, all, our, uh, all the strongholds that we've built in our life. Before being born again, we didn't have that ability, that power, because the evil principle was in us. 
the, uh, that evil principle, that death, spiritual death was in us and our nature was death. Now we are no longer powerless in regard to sinful actions, that's one thing. And we are no longer subject to spiritual death, like sickness, curse, poverty, weakness, failure, depression, frustration. We are no longer subject to this. Even though they try to attack us and to keep us in bondage, we are no longer subject to them. We can say no to them, we can refuse them with our words, and they will just leave us. The Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee. You resist, even though if those things come on you, you resist them based on the word of God, based on what is your right. Your rightful state. You are a joint heir with Christ. As Christ is, so are we in this world. We are in Christ and Christ is in us. We have the mind of Christ. We think like Christ. You, you may not believe that, but the mind of Christ, where is that mind? Is one with your mind, is in your spirit. So you, his mind, the all that we have access to, all the treasures of knowledge and wisdom, the Bible says. How? Our mind is really connected to Christ's mind. So, and we can, we can take out those, that wisdom and that knowledge by speaking in tongues, by reading the word, by declaring the word, by assimilating the word and applying that righteousness on the outside. And I'll close here. I hope this session has benefited you and blessed you as much as it blessed me while I'm speaking and while I'm, I'm teaching. I'm so overcharged and stirred up in my spirit, in my faith. I become so confident and so bold to go forward and, and apply that righteousness and live that righteousness. You have so much, we have so much peace and so much joy that we, we are secure. We don't have to work. We don't have to struggle. We just rest in Christ and let the life of Christ to come out through us. In closing, I would like to say two verses for, uh, to memorize again. And probably in the last session, I didn't do that. I, I missed it. But today, uh, let's close by memorizing and personalizing the last two verses that we had in this session. The first one is Romans 5.19. Let's read it together and try to remember it and memorize it. Uh, Romans 5.19. And you can put it in your Remember Me app. Uh, we talked about smartphones. There's a very good app that I, said, I mentioned in the first session called Remember Me, where you can put different Bible verses. I have around 300, and they come up uh, periodically, and you can, you can uh, rehearse them, and you can uh, um, memorize them again and again. Romans 5.19, For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. Amen? This is the first uh, verse for memorization. And the second one, 2 Corinthians 5.21. You have to know this verse by heart. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I believe this verse, we can, we can personalize it, although the previous one, not so much. I mean, it personalizes, but it's not so, we cannot put the first person in it so, uh, so easily. So 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on my behalf, so that I might become the righteousness of God in Christ. I have become the righteousness of God in Christ. No matter what I feel, no matter what I perceive with my mind, no matter what other people say, no matter how many sinful actions and repeated sinful actions I do in my life, nothing and no one will be able to separate me from the love of the Father. Nothing and no one will be able 
to steal or change the righteousness of God that I have become. I will always be and forever be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. Father, I thank you for your righteousness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace that you have over, overwhelmed us with. Thank you for being so kind with us and thank you for the life that you have brought into us thank you that you have made us righteousness not just legally but vitally you have changed us you have recreated us and father we thank you that now we can have fellowship with you we can live out your excellencies your abilities we can live out and be a testimony to other people we can be perfected in love in faith in holiness Father, thank you so much for the Holy Spirit that is in us and with us and will be in us forever. Father, we love you and we worship you in spirit and truth. In the name of Jesus, amen. Until we meet again on the next session, may God bless you and enrich your life in a mighty way. In the name of Jesus, amen.